as we go through the sermon today, I'm going to ask you to be thinking and even kind of praying as I'm talking in your spirit of something that you could fast from for the next three days. January is the last day, uh, ends on Wednesday. So we're running out of days to have a three-day emphasis. So some will do a three-day media fast. Some may say, I don't want to do that. I don't feel led to do that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to fast from lunch for these three days. Or some might say, not even going to do that. I'm going to fast from lunch one of the three days. Some would say, you know, every night before I go to bed, I've got some, some good friends. Every night before this man and his wife go to bed, they watch Frasier, the old show with Kelsey Grammer, and that's what they watch before they go to sleep. If you watch Frasier or Seinfeld or some show before you go to bed, or if you're a sports fan like me, you watch Sports Center, and, and you say, that's just kind of what I do for a good, maybe for the next three days, you, you knock it off. You don't watch that for the next, or maybe you just choose one day not to do that. Now, maybe for you, it's the news. I'm a news junkie. I love to know what's going on in the news. I, know, I like to know what's happening in the country, in the, in the world, in the stock market. I, keep a, I like to know what's happening. And so for me, to deny myself of keeping up with what's happening, that is, that is some sacrifice. The only thing I'm gonna ask that we do, we need to sacrifice something that means something to us. Something We're denying ourselves of something that we enjoy. So for example, if I said to God, God, I just want you to know I love you so much that for the next three days, I'm not gonna eat Brussels sprouts and cauliflower, God. Three days, no Brussels sprouts. And God, to further show my love, no spinach and no kale. God, I'm just committed to you. That wouldn't even count. I don't eat that. Maybe I should eat all that, but I don't eat that. On, I don't eat that food. I, I eat something else. But... Uh, but it has to be something that means something to you. If it means something to you, it will mean something to God. If it means nothing to you, it will mean nothing to God. And so we say, God, for the next three days. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so you've already got me thinking, what could I fast? The word fast means to do without, to go without, to forfeit that. So what could I go without for part of the days, three of the so that I could seek God. But the next question is, my, is even a more important question than that. And some of you are thinking, and I don't blame you for thinking this, why in the world would I do that? <laughs> why would I give up anything for three days? There's no sin in Sports Center. There's no sin in eating. There's no sin in eating food. God made our bodies where we require food. So why would I give up something that I enjoy? What is the point of this? It's interesting. In Bible times, people fasted when they were experiencing certain situations in their life, and it's true today. You might wanna consider fasting, for example, if you are in a place of spiritual dryness in your life right now. You come to church, you, everybody's singing and worshiping, but you're not feeling the same. It's just, and sometimes we all get in a dry place. And maybe today you say, you know, I'm in a dry season. I need to pray for God to, to fill my spiritual cup, to fill my spiritual tank so that I can, be, you know, my cup can run over. And some would say here today, my cup's not only not running over, my cup is empty. Well, you might want to fast if you're in a place of dryness. Maybe some today say, no, I'm not so much dry, but I'm in a place of discouragement. That John, things are happening in my life and my family dynamic and maybe even in your health. And talked to a lady between services, had a major cancer surgery last week, thankfully that went well. But she and her family have been in tremendous discouragement going, walking through that valley. And maybe today, that's, that's where you are. You say, I wanna just fast so that God could, 
could encourage me and lift my spirit. Some would say, John, it's beyond discouragement. I'm in a place of, of desperation. I'm, maybe you're facing a cancer battle. Maybe you're facing a, a financial deal. Maybe you have bills coming in and you don't have the money to pay the bills. Maybe you're facing in your personal life or in your family, you are in a place of sheer desperation. I've just finished reading in my Old Testament Bible reading plan uh, the book of Esther. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that, that the Jewish people were gonna be annihilated. They had already chosen a day and where, where all the Jews in the world would be killed on a particular day. And Queen Esther, who herself was Jewish, found out about this plot and her uncle Mordecai said, got word to Esther, tell Esther to go to the king and to say to the king, please have mercy on the Jewish people. Don't let this happen. You have power to stop this. And so the word got to Esther and Esther sent word back to Mordecai and said, I can't go approach the king even though he's the king and I'm the queen. There's a law that you can only go stand before the king if you've been summoned by the king. I've not been summoned. And if you just go in the king's presence without being invited, he'll have you killed. And Mordecai sent word back and said, that may be the case, but if you don't do something, multiplied hundreds of thousands of Jewish people will be killed. And Esther said, send back word to my uncle Mordecai and here's what I want you to say to him. Fast and pray for me for three days and get all the Jewish people to fast and pray for me for three days that when I go into the king that he will receive me favorably and not have me killed. And while you're fasting and praying, I'm gonna fast and pray too. And we'll fast and pray together. And for three days, they fasted and they prayed. And at the end of those days, Esther said, I'm going to stand before the king, and if I perish, I perish. And she went and stood before the king and pleaded her case, and it infuriated the king about this plot against the Jewish people. Long story short, the plot was reversed and overturned. And think about this, the people who had planned on destroying the Jews were themselves destroyed. The stone that they had rolled, rolled back onto them. The hole that they had dug, they fell into and God turned it around. But the point is they were in a desperate situation and they prayed and they fasted and God intervened. Some today you say, John, I'm not really in a desperate situation. Certainly not like that. But my, my deal is this, I'm facing a decision I'm trying to know what to do. Some of these students, where to go to college, what to do with your life. Others here today, a family decision, a financial decision, a work decision. It's a decision. You don't know what to do. You've talked to people, you've sought counsel, and now you're more confused than you were before because everybody has a different opinion. And so you would just pray and ask God to give you the wisdom to know what to do. So those are some of the reasons that we should consider fasting. Now, you still listen? Say Amen. Okay, now open your Bible, if you would, to Exodus chapter 19. Because in this passage of Scripture, we find the Jewish people having been brought out of Egyptian bondage, and they're three months out of that experience. They have been walking into the wilderness, headed to the promised land, and they've come to Mount Sinai. Sometimes in the Bible, it's called Mount Horeb. It's the mountain of God. This was the mountain where God came down from heaven and he met with Moses and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And it's a beautiful thing. And that all happened in Exodus chapter 20. We should all know that Exodus chapter 20 is where we read about the Ten Commandments. But in Exodus chapter 19, 
we read about what God told the, the Jewish people to do in anticipation of receiving the Ten Commandments. Now, as we're going to see today in this passage, as God came down to that mountain to give the Ten Commandments, his presence was powerful. He's in a dark, thick cloud, and there's lightning, and there's thundering, and there's like a, the mountain is quaking and shaking and the ground around that. So what happens at the end of this story, God's presence comes down, and God gives clear words, the Ten Commandments. Now think about what we need in our lives more than anything else. We need God's presence to come down. That's my greatest need, is God's presence in my life. And for him to give me clear words on how to live my life. Well, that's your greatest need too. But God said to the people, I'm going to do all of that. But you must prepare for my presence. And you must prepare your hearts to hear what I would have to say to you. And so this is the spirit. You see, what the, what the Israelites needed to hear from God, that happened in chapter 20. But what the Israelites needed to do, that was to prepare themselves to hear from God, that happened in chapter 19. And so when we fast and pray, that's what we're doing. We're, putting, we're preparing our hearts to meet with God and to hear what God might say and to see what God might do. And as we think about preparing our hearts to hear from God, we remember this, that prayer and fasting is, are two of the greatest secret weapons that God has given us for spiritual warfare. And friend, let me say this, we are, we are in spiritual warfare with the devil. He is our enemy and he would seek to destroy us, discourage us, defeat us, and to uh, damage our witness in, for Christ. He'd do anything he can to defeat you and, and to get you down in your life. And yet the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I think we have this in the NIV. Let's see if that might be up there. Yeah, look at this, look at this verse. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is one of the concerns I have today is to see Christians, many Christians, seemingly have abandoned doing spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. And we're just fighting our battle like the world fights its battle. We, we, that's not how it's supposed to be. Look at this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And prayer and fasting are two of our greatest weapons that God has given us to have victory. So as we think about fasting, as we think about coming into the presence of God, as we think about unplugging or stepping away from the table or giving up something that means something to us, what do we do? How do we go about, if you set aside 30 minutes to an hour and you say, for the next 30 minutes or one hour, I'm gonna be alone with God I remember years ago, we were doing one of these media fasts and I was leaving a bank and uh, I was talking to the girl up there, you know, the teller, and, and I had gotten to know her a little bit and she said, well, how are things going at First Baptist? I said, well, they're going great. And I said, we're doing a three-day media fast this week. She said, what is that? I tried to give her a quick explanation. She said, you mean no television, no radio? She said, you mean like when you're riding down the road in your car? Here's what she said. She said, you mean you're just alone with your thoughts? I said, all alone, all alone. You and your thoughts, you and your mind, but we're not alone. God is with us there. Sometimes we turn the radio off, we can hear from God. Sometimes we turn the radio on, we don't hear from God. So anyway, how do we, but if you decide, I'm gonna take 30 minutes each day for the next three days or an hour 
and I'm going to just be alone with God in my thoughts. What in the world do I do? Now, certainly we're going to read our Bible. Certainly we're going to pray. But it's more than just that. Number one thing we need to do, look at this, is to wait in God's presence. Did you know it's possible to read your Bible and pray and never really meet with God? You pray, your prayer, I mean, I've done this before. You go in and you pray and you have all these things you want to pray. God, I'm asking you to do this, that, and the other. And then you read your Bible. Okay, God, I've got a little time. I'm going to read this chapter. I read it. I check it off. Now let's go with the day. It's possible to read your Bible and pray and never meet with God. I have a conviction, not a, not a, a judgment, but a conviction that one of the reasons Christians seldom read their Bible and pray and have any kind of a quiet time is they don't want to look God in the face. And part of your quiet time shouldn't be just telling God everything you need and even reading from the Bible. That's part of it. Part of our quiet time should be, God, what are you thinking today? Sometimes I, I do this all the time. I'll sit in my chair where I read my Bible and pray. And before I do any of that, I just look up at the ceiling and I say, God, what are you thinking today? God, how am I doing today? God, is anything in me that's not right? Any behavior, any attitude, anything in me. I just look God in the face as much as I can look a, a God in the face who, whom we can't physically see. Because there's something about looking God in the face that is healthy and good for us. And yet I think it's possible to, to have an experience where you read your Bible and pray and you never look God in the face. Now the first thing these Jews did when they came to Mount Horeb, they looked God in the face. And the first thing they did was, and the first thing we need to do, is to wait in God's presence. Look in verse number one. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So now Israel is at the foot of this mountain, the base of the mountain. And what are they doing? They're just waiting in God's presence. 2,000 Jewish people, 2 million rather, 2 million Jewish people. Because we read there was 600,000 men, most of them probably married, had kids, around 2 million people. And they're just at the base of this mountain. And they're just looking at, at it. And they're thinking that mountain represents God. God's going to do something on that mountain. And so we just wait in God's presence to see what God might say to us. Listen, think of prayer like the ocean. You don't just jump in the middle of it. You wade in it from the shore, right? You don't just go down to Galveston and say, I want to just start out 20 miles out there. Just put me in a helicopter and drop me down. No. You just wade in from the shore, gradually, slowly, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. That's how it is with God's presence. You just start very slowly. You don't rush. You don't rush into the presence of God. Hurry is the death of prayer. One of the greatest quotes I ever heard. Hurry is the death of prayer. So we just, we just wait in God's presence and we're in no hurry. The number two thing we do is we reflect on God's provisions, Again, many times we come into God's presence needing this, that, and the other. But sometimes we need to just say, God, before I even tell you what I need or what's on my heart, I want to just thank you for your blessings in my life. Look in verse number three. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen, now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. 
I have a booklet by that title on eagle's wings from this verse and brought you to myself. In other words, Moses saying, God, God saying, Moses, remind the people and think yourself on all the things that I have done for you, how I brought you out of that bondage, that bad place down there in Egypt under Pharaoh, the taskmaster, how I have sustained you for these months in the wilderness, how I have taken care of you. Just be, be mindful of that so that when we wade into God's presence, we're just reflecting on his provisions. We just begin by thanking God. You know, I mean, folks, look, every day we should thank God for the blessings he has given to us, beginning with our salvation. I did a funeral yesterday at Forest Park Lawndale for one of our members, 103 years old. You don't do many services like that. Most people don't make it that long. She was 103 and a godly lady, faithful to this church. Her grandson-in-law is a music minister at a good church in Waco that I'm familiar with, and he provided the music for the service yesterday. And after I'd finished the preaching, and after the others had finished with eulogies, we're at the last song of the service, the end of the service. And he said, I want us to all sing together the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. That was one of Miss Rasco's favorite songs. And I'm just there yesterday at Forest Park Lawndale in that beautiful chapel, singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And I thought to myself, the only thing more beautiful than this song is having Blessed Assurance. <laughs> and I just thought, God, there's a lot of places I could be today, but here I am, called of you, adore to preach and minister to a family. And I'd rather be out here doing this today. And I'd certainly rather be out here doing this like I am with the assurance of my salvation. I mean, folks, we, when we go into, the God's pre, into God's presence, we should be thankful and grateful for the things he has done for us. And beginning with that, if God has healed you, you should thank God every day for your healing, for your health, for your life, for your strength, for your energy. We take these things for granted sometimes until we almost lose it. And we almost die. And God restores our health to us. And we should be thankful for that. I'll tell you what else. We should be thankful for our financial provisions. I went to the grocery store last night. And I know everybody keeps talking about how inflation's coming down. I just want to say to these experts, they haven't bought any eggs lately or any, <laughs> any food where I shop lately. And I'm buying all this, just putting all in my little cart there. And I get to the checkout time thing and I'm unloading everything. And uh, she's just running everything through, scanning everything. Now, listen to this. I live alone, and I don't cook. So you would think I would have a pretty cheap grocery bill. Some of you who have, you know, three or four kids at home, and they cook, my, I mean, my heart goes, I think, how do they do this? But, like, my bill last night, for me, just me, and I don't cook, $113.14. I mean, I bought a lot of graham crackers last night. And uh, <laughs> I like those little Teddy Grahams, to be honest with you. I love those things. And uh, they're, they're good for you. Hidden protein is in those things. $113.14. Man, I, I just said, I got my wallet out. I didn't think anything about it. I got out a $100 bill. I put it on the table. A $10 bill, three ones. And I'm old school now. I got a little change purse I carry with me. And I put out. I know. They, she laughs at Everybody laughs. But that's all right. And so I put out the, the, the thing. I, I pay cash. Why? You say, John, it's easier to put it on a debit card. That's why I pay cash. Because if you make spending money too easy, you won't have any left. I like, I like it to hurt a little bit when the money comes out. So I pay cash for everything. 113, but you know what? I got home last night. I was thinking, God, I went to the store. And after I left there, I went to the, my buddy Charles right here works at HEB down in Clear Lake. And he was working at the, where they put, you put gas in your car last night. 
And I don't know, what was I put about 20 bucks in there, 25 bucks in there, something like that. But I just gave him the cash, man. I'm giving him the cash and I filled that car up. It wasn't totally empty. I filled up what I needed in there. But I got home last night. I had my quiet time later in the day because the funeral earlier in the day. I said, God, I know a lot of people are complaining about the price of food and it does seem high and the price of gas and all these things. But God, I wanna thank you that you've given me the money in my wallet to buy the food. You've given me a healthy body to eat the food. You've given me a car to drive. You've given me the money to buy the gas. I got a bill last week talking about my car insurance thing is coming due. And car insurance, like everything else, is just going up. You know what? A lot of people look at their car insurance and they look at it the wrong way. They say, man, it's getting higher. They just gripe and complain and gripe and complain. I got my bill. I said, God, I thank you that I have a car to insure. And I thank you, God, that I have money in the bank to write that check. Now, I do write checks for that like that. I'm not gonna go down to Allstate and give them 600. You know, I'm not gonna do that. I'm that modern. But I'm saying, folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. And that's what we need to do. Reflect on God's. When you get in that, when you, you got an hour, you got in your thoughts. Man, an hour? 30 minutes? How am I going to do this? Just start thinking about how good God's been to you. And that time will go by fast. Number three, obey God's instructions. We got to pick up the pace here. In verse five, now therefore, God said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God said, if you'll just obey me, you'll be a special treasure. You'll be the apple of my eye. Obedience. Here's what you say to God. God, is there anything in any area in my life where I've not been obedient to what you've told me to do? Is there any area? God's told us to be baptized. Have you been baptized? God's told us to tithe. Do you tithe? God has told us to forgive. Do you forgive? God has told us to work hard. Do you, is there any area in your life? I have to ask myself, is there any area? I'm sharing some of this on Wednesday night. And I said, you know, sometimes in life, we're out there and we're wanting to know what God wants us to do at step nine in life. God, I need, this, I need wisdom to know what the right decision is here on step nine. And God says, the reason I'm not telling you what to do on step nine is you haven't done what I told you to do on step eight. And if you'll do what I tell you to do on step eight, I'll show you what to do on the next step, on step nine. And so obedience, the, the way, one of the ways to know what God wants you to do next is to do what God told you to do last. And if you do what God told you to do last, he'll show you what to do next. But if you don't, he won't. He wants to obey, to bless us, but we have to be obedient. The next thing is we consecrate ourselves. Look in verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. That's an old word. I looked that up in lots of translations thinking there would be a newer word, but in most of the translations, they just keep that word. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their robes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You see, on the third day of this three-day period, God had already decided he was coming down on the mountain. He was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> but God said to Moses, before the third day happens, we've got day one and day two. And the people, Moses, and you need to prepare yourselves to meet with me. Consecrate yourself. The idea here is sanctify yourself. Purify yourself, cleanse yourself, prepare yourself. So we have to ask ourselves, God, is there any sin 
this is a matter of sin now. Is there any sin in my life? Because if there is, we've got to deal with that and I've got to get that forgiven and I've got to get that removed. The next thing we do in God's presence, we deny ourselves. Look in verse number 15. And Moses said to the people, be ready for the third day. It's all about the third day. That was when God was coming down to speak to them. But notice what he says. Do not come near your wives. Now, why would God have said that? These people were married. There was no sin in uh, men and uh, husbands and wives coming together. There's no sin in that. But why did God say, do not come near your wives? Because sometimes in fasting, God leads us not just to give up sinful things. He always wants us to do that. But he gives us, he leads us to give up something that in and of itself is not sinful. It's just something it's something else. It's just something that we would normally and naturally do. And so we deny ourselves. That's why I was saying at the beginning of the message, begin thinking. During these next three days, what is one thing that you could give up that means something to you? Even if you just do it for part of one of the days and God will honor that, we deny ourselves. And then the next thing is expect God to speak. Expect that third day to come. Now, it may not be Wednesday. That's the third day of our fast. It may be April or July or October or next December. But if you, see, when we fast, what are we doing? We're just putting some good seeds in the ground. And in time, those seeds will take root and those seeds will begin to grow. And God will honor that and God will will come through for us. Maybe not in the way that we wish he would. There have been times I have prayed for things and it didn't turn out exactly like I wished it would. I did not have the desired outcome. There have been other times I've prayed for things, but on, I will say this, on those times, God's grace was more than sufficient to see me through. There have been other times I've prayed and I got exactly what I prayed for. There have been other times I've prayed and I got something better than I prayed for. But God's always done something in response to the prayer. So we want to expect God on that third day, whenever he determines that is, that he will speak. Look in verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning. <laughs> now it's the, it's the day and God's coming Quickly in the morning now that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. God said, Moses, the only one who can come up this mountain is you. Everybody else has to stay at the bottom. And when the, and in verse 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. There's the presence of God. And then look down in chapter 20 in verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, and then he gave the 10 commandments. So the first thing that happened, his presence came down. And the second thing that happened, God spoke. And when God spoke, the people knew exactly what to do and exactly what not to do. Now, what do we need more than anything else in our lives? We need God's presence to come down in a powerful way. And we need God to speak to our hearts and to show us what to do. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Amen. As As a preacher who's always, or not always, but frequently in front of an audience here or somewhere, I find it rather easy to read an audience whether they're interested, whether they're disinterested. And I find it super easy to read the, Holy, to read the moving of the Spirit. You can, you can sense that. 
And my impression of this gathering today in this service, and it was true in the first one too, but I especially feel it here, is that most everybody, if not everybody here, is very open to what I'm talking about. And very interested in, ha- in doing whatever we have to do to experience the presence of God in ways we've never experienced him before and hearing a clear word from God. So I just, as I try to read this audience, I feel like most everybody today is just saying, you know, I'm gonna really think about this. I'm gonna think about during these next three days. When you go out today, we have a little prayer guide. We've passed this out for 15 years. And if you've lost your other ones or you're new to the church, pick up one of these, or even if you just want a new one. And whatever fast you do, there's a prayer guide in here. Take you about 10 minutes to read the booklet, maybe 15, and then you have a prayer guide for each day that'll help you guide your prayers. But I think the question I would be asking if I were sitting in the pew today and my dad or some other preacher were preaching the same sermon, I would be saying, yeah, I believe that God can come through for me, that God can, in my dryness, once again, refill my spiritual tank. That in my discouragement, God can somehow lift my spirit. That in my place of desperation, as I seem to have come to a dead end road in life, that somehow, even if it doesn't turn out the way I wish it would, that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. I believe that. I believe that as I'm facing this decision and I don't know what to do, that somehow, way, by his spirit, God can show me and give me wisdom so that I can make the right decision. I believe that. But I'd be asking this question, how's God gonna do it? I mean, here in this story, God came down on the mountain and there's this thick cloud and there's an earthquake and there's thunder and there's lightning. I'd be thinking, is God gonna do that for me? Maybe, but probably not. I'll tell you how God will honor our fast. Two ways. Number one, supernaturally. Everything God does is supernatural. And somehow, way, God will supernaturally intervene in your situation so much so that no matter how it turns out, One day you'll look back on this and say, had it not been for the hand of God, there's no way I could have survived that. And the number two way that most likely God will come through for you is suddenly, quickly, maybe not soon, maybe not immediately, but suddenly, literally out of the blue, you'll have an answer for your question. You'll have direction for your life. You'll see a way that you can walk through this valley and come out on the other side. If you will trust the Lord and if you will prepare your heart to meet with him. And so today, before we have our salvation call at the end, to the Christians in the room, I'm challenging you to consider fasting from something for the next three days or for part of the next three days. And I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word, if you will honor him in this way, he will honor you. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Now you've not had time. I've been thinking about this sermon all week. 
You, you just came in here and you got, you got hit cold. You think, man, I didn't think about this. But if I have read you right, and you indeed are interested, and even you feel led to do this in some fashion or another, would you just pray this to God? This is not a commitment as much as just an open-ended prayer. God, if you will show me what to fast from during these next three days, I'll do it. Now, that, that part is a commitment. It's just that you don't know what it is yet. But friend, we should pray that every moment of every day. God, if you'll show me what to do, I'll do it. God, if you'll show me what to fast from, I'll do it. That, this is the reason I, say, that I think, for me anyway, the media fast is so helpful. If, 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 for example, you fasted from a meal and you said, I'm not eating, but I'm gonna just watch this movie on TV instead of eating. No, you don't skip the meal and watch a movie. You skip the meal and you come into God's presence. You just wade into his presence to see what God might do. God, if you'll show me what to fast from, I will fast from that and I will fill that time like these Israelites did at the foot of that mountain, just waiting on you. I believe something. I believe people are praying that. I believe hundreds of people are praying that all over this room this morning. And now for those here who don't have peace with God, you've never been saved. I have not preached a sermon on salvation, but I have preached the Bible. Jesus has been exalted in this service today in the singing and the preaching. And the Holy Spirit is here, just like he was for that sixth grade girl who got saved in the first service. Today, if you would say, John, I don't have the full assurance of my salvation. I could not sing blessed assurance with joy in my heart. Well, I know what that feels like. And it's not a good feeling. But I tell you, when you come across that line and you have that assurance, there's nothing sweeter on a Saturday than singing that song with a grateful heart. Pray this prayer right now. You say, John, I want to I wanna be able to sing that old song. But I, even if I never hear the song, I want to have the assurance. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.